You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Chris Durkin. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. People, the public starts to use museums in a complete different way. When we asked the Tate Modern, why do you want to come? People said, we want to come to gain knowledge. People said, we want to come to admire. But most people said, we want to come to the museum because it's a perfect place for encounters. And this whole thing about the different use of the museum is of course very much at stake also when we are developing the new Grand Palais. Because the new Grand Palais is a vast space since the beginning of the 20th century. But it's also a space which was from its very beginning a very hybrid space. And museums are becoming not only places for encounters, they are also becoming more and more hybrid places. So in the 80s, the museum, and definitely in the 90s, beyond appropriation, beyond creating a pseudo-space for sociology, for ecology, for science, the museum started to add plus, art plus. So the museum became a hybrid place. And today the museum is more and more becoming a hybrid place. And you know, since the past months, we speak about uh, underrepresentation of women artists. We see, we speak about underrepresentation of colored people, not just in the collections, but also in terms of staff and terms of management. All these problems are coming together. So the demand on the museum to go beyond a place for public encounters, to go beyond the hybrid place because art is barely shaping its own cultural space anymore. It's when you look at biennials, it's all these different disciplines are coming in. Yeah. And often it's a pseudo-discipline, you know. Mm. But the museum is becoming much more than that. The museum today is, is under pressure. And going back to the Grand Palais, it's very interesting that the Grand Palais, since its very beginning, is a hybrid place because we have all the Salon Artistique. Many, many f- world-famous artists got to shown first at the Grand Palais. I always speak not about good or bad art. I don't think that's interesting. I speak about necessary or not necessary art. Mm. And I'm teaching a lot. And... Uh, still do and when i had to ask students why do you come and study Mm -hmm. i was only interested in students who spoke about i want to make a contribution if somebody said to me i want to express myself i was like oh no please i mean all these people who want to express themselves Mm -hmm. i mean you know influencers instagram all these men and women who write diaries and Mm -hmm. and send their autobiographies to publishers I mean everybody wants to express themselves I can care less Mm. so I had a lot of students who said I I feel this you know I don't care about your feeling Mm -hmm. I want to know what you can contribute Mm -hmm. and so um, that's my one of my criteria of judgment is this artwork a contribution Mm. when it's definitely a contribution it's necessary So just to say that that I love movies 
and uh, I love movies, which nobody wants to see. And I believe in one dictum, which is uh, you can sleep during a film <laughs> because that means you trust the director. Oh, I, I kept I keep sleeping in many instances. I like I sleeping do. because my 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 idea about sleeping has also been reinforced through my work with Apichatpong Veresitakul, mm. the Thai filmmaker. Mm. I like in incredible slow films. The longer and the slower it is, the better. Actually, I love falling asleep doing movies too, because sometimes I imagine another movie uh -huh. a little better. Right. <laughs> so it's, no, a, it's, no, it's a combination yeah. of the imagination of yeah. them and yeah. me. Um, yeah. That's a good art, I yeah. think, is a yeah. definition too, is when you can add something to mm -hmm. it. It's true. Yeah. Ashit Pachong Takul has a lot of theories about that. I mean, if you want to... Uh, I did a conversation at the film festival in Rotterdam with Apichatpong about sleeping and about slowness and it's he has an incredible radical theory about it which is uh, which is too long to fit <laughs> out right now but it's it's uh, i mean you can find many of my conversations on youtube and with hanzuri about archiving with abichat pong mm -hmm. about slow films so there is a lot of documentation about that mm -hmm. i mean that's part of the archives right now we 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 have we have a project where we have to find all these these things coming together. I wonder where do you feel this collecting or archiving impulse comes from? I mean, not just for yourself personally, but for people, what it gives to them. Well, as Freud and Walter Benjamin explained that, I mean, the moment we start to play with toys, and the moment we start to play with toys and make things, like when you do things with Playmobil, or when you are working with Lego or mm. with puppets, I mean, we have it deeply in us to collect things, you know, toys, for instance. It's, it's something which we have in ourselves. That's the reason I was incredibly happy that my first exhibition at the Haus der Kunst in this awful place by Hitler, it was the private museum of Hitler in Munich, and my first show was with Idessa Handelers, the, the famous Canadian collector curator, because she has the biggest collection of teddy bears in the world. Best teddy bear she has. She sold the collection. And it had to do with her Jewish background, because the Gestapo and the SS, when they took away the Jewish children, they always took the teddy bears and gave them to their own children. And Idessas tried to find traces back of stolen teddy bears of Jewish children in the 30s, because she was born just right after the liberation of the concentration camps. Her parents were, both parents were in concentration camps, being Jews. And Idessa started to collect teddy bears. And my first show in the Haus der Kunst, in that place owned by Hitler, was to show all the teddy bears collected by Edessa Handels, next to the Hitler sculpture by Maurizio Catalan. Mm. That was my first show as a kind of exorcist kind of uh, gesture for the Haus der Kunst, which was commissioned by Hitler and its fascist architecture. I always, I always like to make strange shows. Mm. And it's too easy to say, uh, you know, 
I like this and I do it. I mean, an exhibition is also a form of storytelling. It's very important to try to reinvent today what an exhibition can do. Because at the time of uh, going from one artwork to the next and admiring something and the whole idea of chronology in 1840 he did this and in 1860 she did that, that's over. We live in synchro time, the year 2000 didn't exist anyway, we lost the whole idea of chronology. Don't ask me what I did on March 25, I don't know anymore, mm. I think I was on my bike because I had a special paper permission. I was biking in the completely empty city of Paris mm -hmm. from here to the Grand Palais. There was nobody. I loved that strangeness. And I was sitting in the Grand Palais and I heard the boatsmen of the transport ships on the Seine. And I heard them yelling left, à gauche, à droite. And I heard the water splicing. I don't hear that anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's completely lost. I love that eerie quality. I really liked it so much. Mm -hmm. And I remember making lots of dialogues with homeless people because the Rue de Rivoli, in front of Angelina, it was completely taken, occupied by homeless people. They were the only ones allowed in the street. Mm -hmm. And I photographed them, I filmed them, mm -hmm. and I spoke with them. I think it was one of the most crucial times in my life to be in that situation, a totally empty city. It was fantastic. It's really, it was like a movie. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.